following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Our fourth and fifth graders can continue in their worship. They're dismissed. As we open up our Bibles or electronic devices that have a Bible on it to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Felice, it is so good to have you here. It's been a while. Bethany has been to the Eagle's Nest. Um, and so Guatemala is very near and dear to our heart. Uh, we have been praying that uh, the adoption lines open up sometime in regards to Guatemala to see these children come uh, to have a family. And then uh, with everything transpiring in Israel, I've been to Israel a couple of times. It's very near and dear to my heart today, too, as well. Um, so please keep Felice in your prayers, as well as everything transpiring in Guatemala. And then in Israel, too, as well, as the Bible uh, tells us to keep our eyes on what is happening in Israel. It is a great indicator of what is transpiring and what will transpire. With everything that's going on in the world, we ask, uh, what is our response? And our response as God's people is always to go back to God's word, for it speaks into every situation that we experience. It has all of the answers that we need. And we are in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 5, and we're going to go all the way through verse 12, a very fitting passage of Scripture. As we saw last week, Paul is our author. He is with two individuals. He is with a man named Silas, uh, who is his church planting partner. And then he's with an individual called Timothy, who is a young man who he is mentoring. And this church is facing persecution, problems, pain, all of those things because of the gospel that they have received. So the church in Thessalonica is very similar to the church at Community Gospel as they're looking at their world, they're looking at the things that are transpiring, and they're wondering, what do we do? Will the Lord respond to the evil that is transpiring in His created world? Will the Lord do something about the things that are happening to them and the things that are happening to their brothers and sisters in Christ? And the answer to that question is, yes, he will. In his time and in his ways, he will respond. Our job as believers, those who have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, is to first and foremost remain faithful. You are to remain faithful to the gospel that you have received. You are to remain faithful to evangelistic opportunities that are entrusted to your care. You're to remain faithful to building one another up as we see this day approaching where God's justice will prevail. And so Paul is reminding the Thessalonian believers in these verses, as well as us gathered here today, that in the grand symphony of redemption... Our great conductor isn't just in control, but he is coming again. Maranatha, praise the Lord, he is coming back again soon. Amen? That should cause you to be excited. If it doesn't, then maybe you need to evaluate the gospel that you have received. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, let's start at verse 5. He says, this 
is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. For which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Verse 7. And to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, that's a pause in the sentence. I apologize, but we're going to do it anyway because we need to stop. Because I love what Peter says about Paul. He says, some of Paul's words are hard to understand. And so we need to go back and walk through this when we talk about the justice of God. God's justice is present when his people are persecuted. Let's start at verse 5, and we'll kind of walk through this text. The Thessalonians are experiencing persecution. Go back to verse 4. Therefore, we find ourselves boasting about you, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions. In all of the problems that you face, in all of those things, you are a testimony to us for the endurance of faith that you have. The New Living Translation, I preach out of the English Standard Version of the Bible, which I think is a great word-for-word translation, helps us study the actual Greek and Hebrew. The New Living Translation is good for your daily Bible reading. If you're just reading the Bible, it's more of like a thought-for-thought. And it says it like this. It says, God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. Now, if you have that word justice there, you can circle that. That is the word judgment. It is God's righteous decision to allow suffering to sanctify his people. God builds his people's character through difficulties in this evil world. God uses difficulties to sanctify us, to set us apart from the rest of the world. Here's a few ways. Second part of verse 5. You are sanctified in your persecution. Persecution or suffering is unavoidable for those who follow Jesus. Man, am I building you up today? I am just like an encouraging word all day long. Paul says that your suffering is unavoidable. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 15, verse 20 and 21, it says from that gospel account, go ahead and go to the next slide. (laughs) Since the unbelievers persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, naturally, what are they going to do? They're going to persecute you. If they don't like Jesus, they're definitely not going to like you. The people of the world will hate you because you belong to me. God, in his glorious grace, gives us Jesus Christ, the one and only Son. The Son, in his glorious grace, gives us the Spirit that dwells within us. And that Spirit that dwells within you awakens other people's demons. And when it does, Paul says, remain steadfast. Paul understood this. He wrote to the church in Rome, if we are to share in his glory, we have to share in his suffering. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to realize in suffering for the faith, love and hope were increasing. We talked a little about about that last week. Love and hope are like muscles that should be flexed often. As a matter of fact, probably the only two muscles you should flex. But all this time, the evidence was that what God was allowing was good. 
I know it's hard to hear in regards to things that are transpiring in Guatemala. It's hard to hear in regards to the things that are transpiring in Israel. It's hard to hear with the things that are transpiring in South Bend and Mishawaka. But let me tell you something. God is still in control. And he's still good. And it is making us worthy of the kingdom of God. It is setting us apart as holy. God's people are strengthened through suffering. We do not run away from it. We welcome it. Suffering is not a prerequisite to the gospel or salvation. It's not something we receive salvation for. But faithfulness through suffering shows God's work in a believer's life. Suffering helps us to see that we are worthy for his kingdom. Those willing to suffer for their faith through sharing the gospel or building others up will indeed, as it says in verse 5, be counted, and that word counted means declared, worthy. As a matter of fact, I would say you should be concerned if there is no suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we suffer, it's an indicator of the faith that we have received. Now, Thessalonians are reading this, and they're probably thinking from Paul, Paul, that's great. We get that. We're living that. We realize that that's true. But when does this justice from God come, right? Like, we kind of want that. <laughs> when does this justice take place? Well, look at verse 6 and 7. Paul says you got to let God have his final justice because obviously the Thessalonians wanted to have their justice. And we're the same way, aren't we? Like, hey, God, I know you're kind of slow to this, so if you want your servant to come and let justice reign, I'll do it for you. God's justice is a truth that is taught from Genesis to Revelation. It's in every single book of the Bible. The word just means that God is perfectly righteous in his treatment of his creatures. Deuteronomy 32 and 2 Chronicles chapter 19 show God's justice. It says in those passages that he will pay back, just like Paul's saying here, or afflict those who persecuted his people. Now, Paul wrote to the church of Galatia in chapter 6, verse 7, and he says he will pay back the non-believers that persecute his people. So if you're experiencing persecution for sharing your faith or building up another brother and sister in the Lord, you know that God will have his final justice upon that person in his time. He will grant relief to those who are afflicted, who are persecuted or troubled or pressured. So the Thessalonians, the apostles... And all other believers who share in afflictions because of evangelistic and edification efforts look forward to relief. Now, the word relief in the Greek is kind of interesting. It's what Jesus did at the Last Supper when he reclined in the table. It's funny, you would think that Jesus, right before he's about to die would be very concerned, and he would be like somebody sitting forward in the table, and he would be nervous. But Jesus knows the will of his Father, and the people who know the will of God the Father, we relax. So that which is stressing you out, you need to just breathe and let it go. Because God will have his final justice. There is rest for believers. Well, that's great, Paul, but when is that going to happen? Paul says, if you look at the passage, he says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. It's interesting how the people of God pray usually with their heads down. Maybe we should start praying with our heads up. Looking forward to this glorious return, the second coming of Christ. 
It will be like a veil that's removed from the front of Christ, and he will be revealed. Exodus and Psalms and Isaiah and Daniel all talk about him coming like a blazing fire. This is Jesus, the man in heaven, coming to exercise his power over the persecutors. And he will come with an army of angels, armed and ready to do his will. Now, here's the hard part. This is a dread for non-believers. This should terrify you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you should be just so concerned. You should be shaking because of this news. But for believers, this is our hope. This is what we have. This is what we hope for, that God will be just in the persecution that is taking place, that God will be just in bringing the orphans, families, that God will be just in bringing those people who are working against the gospel, that God will be just in regards to our efforts to make Christ known near and far. I love what John Stott says. He says, why doesn't God do something? We complain about that. And the answer is that he is doing something. And he will do something. I think about this as a father all the time. My kids look at me and say, Dad, why don't you do something? And they don't know what I've already done. And God's allowing his people to suffer in order to qualify them for his heavenly kingdom. He's allowing the wicked to triumph temporarily. That's the key word in that whole quote. But his just judgment will fall upon them in the end. Living for Christ is going to welcome some earthly troubles. We're trying to be God's people in a perverse world. What did you expect? I mean, sometimes as believers, it's funny. We accept the gospel. We start sharing the gospel with people. We start building other people up. And all of a sudden we think, Lord, this is hard. He's like, oh, poor baby. It is hard. Because holiness is hard alone, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, oh, it's glorious. Now, our problems do four things. I wanted to change your perspective of your problems. I'm going to shift your perspective a little bit into looking at problems and saying, woe is me, and saying, whoa, this is for me. Problems do one of four things. Number one, they help us look upward and forward instead of inward. A lot of times when people have problems, they think of themselves instead of thinking about what God is doing. So the first response always is, okay, Lord, what are you doing right now? And how does this prepare me for the eternal hope that I have that you're coming back again soon? If I'm looking inward, that's selfishness. If I'm looking upward, that's holiness. Number two, it builds strong character in us. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 talk about how God is doing a good work in your character when you are living in tension. That's producing character. Number three, it's providing us with the opportunities to comfort others who are struggling. I am amazed, almost dumbfounded sometimes, how many believers go through things, get through those things, and then put those things in a shelf and never talk about those things ever again. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. If you've gone something, if you've gone through something, either somebody else you know in this room has gone through it as well, going through it currently, or will go through it. Our opportunity and obligation is to share with others what we have gone through to comfort them. There are people who need to hear your story. There are people who need to hear what has gone on in your life to help them with that. If you've gone through something, it's funny. We get embarrassed by the times which God has done a great work in our life because it makes us look bad. 
I will, I will look bad for myself all the time so the gospel is increased. So, Lord, make me transparent, right? Let me, let me tell you how I failed. Let me tell you how uh, I found frustration but fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number four, testing of our faith develops, as James says, perseverance, and it helps you mature. You move from spiritual milk to meat. And some of us need to move from spiritual milk to meat. I have a list that I'll put on the board in just a second. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so we can trust God during suffering. Well, Paul continues. He says, okay, God's justice is coming. Second coming of Christ. You look forward to this. Now, verse 8. <clears throat> he says, which is the second part of the sentence, because I know I dropped off. Inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes people look at the New Testament and they see Jesus and they say, Oh, Jesus in the New Testament isn't like the God of the Old Testament. I'm like, Have you read the letters? Because this is the God I worship. He comes with fire, He comes with vengeance. About time, Jesus. <laughs> Verse 9. They will suffer, talking about unbelievers, the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Verse 10, when he comes on that day, he will be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among those who believe because of our testimony to you was believed. Well, what's Paul saying there? He's saying, well, first of all, God's coming back again. And when God comes back again, there is justice in our eternal destination. Somewhere along the lines, I don't know when this happened, but somewhere along the lines of like Christianity in today's day and age, they're like, you can't talk about hell. I'm like, whoa. Because it's all throughout the New Testament text. Sometimes we look at people and we're like, don't tell little kids about hell. I'm like, uh, I think you should. I, th I think you should talk about it because Paul talks about it and Jesus talks about it. Look at this in verse 8. When Christ comes, his justice will punish two classes of people. I do not want to be in this group of people. Number one, those who don't know God. Romans chapter 1 says these are the people who are ignorant of him. And number two, those who don't want to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now these passages describe all unbelievers. Their willing rejection of God and the gospel message. And Paul elaborates. He says, here's the two destinations. Either this is terrifying for you, or this is extremely encouraging for you, depending on the gospel that you have received or not received. Well, let's start with the non-believers. There's a punishment, verse 9, of eternal destruction. It says that they will suffer the punishment. That is literally, they will pay a penalty. Because these people rejected God's grace... The penalty that they experience is eternal destructing, everlasting ruin away from the Lord. Now, we love uh, when, when like pastors start to preach hell and, and because we, we think like, oh, they're going to talk about flames and fire and all this other stuff. No, 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 no. If, if, you're, if you're teaching that, that's, that's part of it. That's a small sliver of it. But this is the real punishment. The punishment of the wicked is not temporary annihilation. It continues through eternity. And those being punished for their rejection will be conscious through it all. And this eternal death, as opposed to eternal life, is separation from the presence of the Lord. 
So people who do not have a relationship with God through faith in Christ are living off of borrowed grace. The breath in their lung, borrowed. The ability to wake up and go to bed, borrowed. The ability to have your body not go out of control, borrowed. The ability that God does not strike you down, borrowed. The separation from the presence of the Lord, his face is what Paul says in verse 9, is the worst part of his eternal punishment. Heat and flames, nothing compared to when you remove the grace of God. That's our message. That there is a removal of the grace of God. This should move us to tears over the people who do not have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Because look at, the, look at verse 10. Paul says, for us... How great is this? We're glorified because of our testimony. Now, if you're, if you're speaking about hell to somebody, you're speaking about eternal separation from God, removing of his grace, you can't just stop there. That's the problem with this fire and brimstone preaching. Like, they just stop. They're like, do you not want to go to hell? All right, then, no, then accept Jesus. I'm like, wait, look, keep going. Verse 10. Because look, on the other side of eternal punishment is a believer being in the Lord's presence. This is heaven, capital H, an actual place. A Christian's hope is to physically see the glorified Christ. Now, Paul's writing these words. He saw him. He met him on the road to Damascus. The resurrected Christ looks at Paul, speaks to him, and he's like, I I, I need to get back there. I need to get back to that. That was such an amazing experience. I went blind for three days. I I lost vision, sight. But I'll see him again. And not only will I see him again, I'll be in his presence. The flip side of this is the judgment of unbelievers being eternally inaccessible to God's presence. But here Paul says, Oh, when we have believed in Jesus, we will see the glorified Christ and marvel at him with all who believe. We'll gather and we'll sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. But then we'll sing, who came? The Lord's power will be manifested in a majestic display. Revelation chapter 19 talks about this. But unbelievers will be forever shut out from the Lord's presence and his power forever. This motivates us as believers to share the gospel. Look at Revelation chapter 20. I saw this great white throne. I saw one who was sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Unbelievers for the moment have a little bit of hiding. But then all of a sudden, here this comes. I saw the dead, both great and small, leveled. Standing before God's throne and the books were opened. Including the book of life and the dead were judged according to the things written in the book. According to the things that they had done. But the passage continues. The passage goes on. It says, they were all judged according to their deeds of dead and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the unbelievers and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found or recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So you know all about this, about God's justice. So Paul looks, look at this. Paul looks at the Thessalonians. And he says, how could you not share the gospel? If you know this, how could you not carry out God's power in everything you think, say, and do? How could you stop if you're quote-unquote afflicted? 
Christ was afflicted way more than you were. Carry on. There is no unselfish acts for service for another's eternal state. And while good works can't save us or even increase God's love for us, they're indicators of our faith and love for the Lord. This is the opportunity and obligation as believers. The person you work with, the person you interact with, the person that you see on a daily basis who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, Revelation 20 should be in your head. And let me tell you something, church. The goal is not to win them to eternal life. The goal is to lead them by turning on lights, by giving them the truth, little by little by little by little. And so we speak with words that God has given us, but we also live lives that God has given us that are conformed to the image of Christ. Because some people are speaking the gospel, but their lives are not living the gospel. And some people are living the gospel, but they're not speaking the gospel. And Paul says there needs to be a balance in both. Because there is glory in the grace of God. He closes, verse 11. I love these words. He says, to this end, we're going to always pray for you. Isn't it amazing to know that, God pray, or that, that Paul was praying for the Thessalonians? And isn't it amazing that Jesus prays for us? He even says that in the text. We have missionaries come in, and they'll talk about what they're experiencing and what's going on, and we, we're praying for them. We're praying for what's going on overseas. We're praying for people who are close. We pray for you. Did you know that? We pray for you daily. And here Paul says, we pray for you always, that God may make you worthy of his calling. He may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. That it wouldn't be you, it would be, it would be the power of Christ in you. That you would be full of the Holy Spirit, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's so moved by all this that it leads him to pray this threefold prayer. There's, there's three kind of parts to this prayer. And this is kind of what I've been praying for myself and for you this, this week. Number one, that you would be worthy of your calling. What that means is <laughs> your workplace is a mission field. You know, we had Felice come up here, and we're like, oh, she's a missionary. That's fun. That's neat. I like that. You're a missionary. Yay, I'll pray for you. I'm not a missionary, but you're a missionary. Your job looks neat. Kind of hard, but neat. She looks back at you, and she says, you're a missionary, too, to wherever you have been called. Oh, I work at this office place. It's not really much of a mission field. Yes, it is. Oh, I'm a stay-at-home spouse. I, I, don't, I don't do a whole lot, you know? Yeah, you do. Paul says, you are worthy of your calling. Worthy has the same meaning as verse, one, or verse 5 in chapter 1. A glorious future in heaven should be the incentive to holy living. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. So in other words, you being a believer is not a compartmentalized faith. You being a believer doesn't mean that you show up on Sunday and you're like, okay, here, I have my church time, and then I'm done with that, and then I go to the restaurant, and I can critique the waitress or waiter, you know, for what they do, and then, because that's fine, because I'm not a church. 
And then on Monday through Friday, I can do whatever I want, you know, and Saturdays, well, I'm going to church on Sunday, so I'll just ask for forgiveness because Bethany does that whole confession thing. So, yeah, we're good. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. This call from God is that his people become more like Christ in everything they do. I had a student come up to me the other day and they said, hey, when do we get to stop learning? I'm like, never. Not Never. Sanctification is like learning. It's a gradual, lifelong process that will not be completed until Christ comes to call you home. It's going to be forever. To be worthy of the calling means we want to do what is right and good. We cannot do it on our own power. We have to pray and ask God to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what is necessary. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, lead a life worthy of the calling in which you have been called. How are we doing? How are you doing with that? You're like, Pastor Jordan, that's, that's kind of convicting. That's not me. God's chosen people are to be Christ's representatives on earth. They are to live worthy of the calling that they have received, regardless of the place that they populate. What an awesome privilege to be called Christ's very own. How are we doing? So as Paul says, be worthy of your calling. Look at the second part. He says, okay, if you're worthy of your calling, ready for this? It's, it's going to hurt a little bit more. I just want to let you guys know that right now. So I'll just keep looking down. Um, he says, be intentional. Wait, what? Intentional? Yeah, Paul's praying God, by his power, would fulfill all of the Thessalonians' intentions, that they would utilize wherever they're at to be faithful stewards of the gospel that they have received. Paul's essentially saying, make it so. Now, here's what happens, all right? Because I see this happen all the time. As a matter of fact, I'll just confess. Like sometimes, worthy of your calling? Check. Intentional? Check. Something happens of God, I'm like, you're welcome. God's like, whoa, hold on a second. What'd you just say? And I'm like, yeah, I did that. You're welcome. Faithful servant, Jordan Muck. Check. He's like, you know, he's like, Paul's like, want me to send lightning bolts now or later? <laughs> which I don't think that's biblical. But anyway, he says, you give God the glory in all things. The ultimate goal of all believers is to glorify God in actions and words and thoughts and motive. If anything comes out of me that calls people into a relationship with the Lord, praise God. If anything good comes out of me that causes the believers to be edified, built up, and encouraged, praise the Lord, it's not me. It's all Christ who gives us far more abundantly than we ever could ask or imagine. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The prayer is to be satisfied in the Lord and watch the works follow suit. Before his death on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. God would glorify his son through the crucifixion, resurrection, and the son in turn would glorify the father by giving eternal life to believers. This only happens by grace. So we as believers can't show Christ's glory or be glorified in him because of anything we do. It is only because of God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. 
Only by God's grace did Jesus come to die for sinners. Only by God's grace can people receive his sacrifice and be saved from their sins. Paul's prayer can only be answered by God's grace. What makes the New Testament authors so amazing is that not once any author in the New Testament points to himself. He points back to the living God. Not one passage of scripture is for their own edification. It is all to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just as Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to hold fast to the faith and trust that trials have a purpose, we ask the same today. We don't know. We don't understand. I'm reminded of Solom Kierkegaard who said, life is to be lived forward but only understood backward and someday we will understand. Someday everything will make sense. We're called to trust and put our faith in you, which is so hard when you have orphans who are not being fed. And it's so hard when you have peaceful protests that are happening all over the world, blocking gospel progress. When we have individuals who are literally throwing bombs at people. Believers are dying all over the world because of the gospel that they have received. Lord, some of it just doesn't make sense. Even in our own lives, here Some of us are so passionate for the gospel and we're so persecuted because we share that gospel. And sometimes it happens in the home. There's there's spouses here who have tried so hard to get their husband or wife to come to know you as Lord and Savior. They've, They've prayed and they've pleaded, but the heart is so hard. And they don't understand. Why, Lord? We've been faithful to you. We've loved you, they cry. But we don't see progress. Some of us, Lord, have tried so hard. And so we just ask that you would help us to remain faithful, to continue to do diligence. To realize that you, the great dispenser of justice, sees our struggles and promises. And every word that you have promised in the text comes true, that you will have retribution for evil. And in these uncertain times, we ask God that you would help us to remember that our story is defined not by challenges, but by our steadfast hope that we have in Jesus Christ who gives us His Spirit, gives us the ability to be filled, to accomplish far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord Jesus, help us to stand firm, awaiting Christ's glorious return. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, we pray, come. Administer justice. And while we wait, help us to embrace our trials with courage and with faith, knowing that justice is on the way. And for those who are far from you, may today be the day of redemption. Those here in this place, those listening online, those that will listen later, who have not confessed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, King, Jesus, Messiah, may they do so. And may you continue to build us up.
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.